Welcome to MDAF, the healthcare podcast that gives you pause. I'm your host, Kim Aquaviva. Today's episode is Uncovered, featuring Sarah Quinn. So welcome to the show, Sarah. How are you? I'm fantastic. Thank you so much for having me. So why don't we start by just hearing a little bit about you and what some of the words are that you use to describe your identities? My identities. Well, so I am a uh, a 37-year-old woman who identifies as queer. And I love referring to myself in that way. I sort of came to queer uh, late in my 20s because I had sort of adopted um, at the time what was more traditional um, uh, was, was more traditionally labeled, um, uh, lesbian or gay. Um, but usually that was because other people had called me that. And I sort of felt like, okay, I guess that's what I am. Um, queer I love because I think it sort of addresses, uh, my broader identity, not just my sexuality, but sort of my, um, you know, how I see myself both, both internally and externally, um, you know, as a woman, but also as a, as a, as a gay person. I like the word queer too. Um, it's interesting, the more that we use the word queer, I'm having to educate straight people that it's not a word that they can use to describe <laughs> queer people, that, that it's, <laughs> um, which is really funny. I never thought that I would have to say that to healthcare professionals, but I was asked just recently, so that word's okay for us to use now? And I'm like, yeah, no, 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 no. I can use it, but you can't. Uh, you can't use it to label someone else. Sure. It's, it's interesting too, because you know, the flip side for me is that I actually find myself having to sort of have lengthy conversations with other gay people about the word because, um, especially for a different, the older generation uh, of 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 gay people, especially some of my friends who are just identifying happily as lesbian, um, the queer is it has this it has this really loaded history, and I really get that. I think I tend to be sort of more of a um, a contrarian and an activist, and I like ruffling feathers, and I like to, I like to um, be somewhat, oh, I don't know, not controversial, but I, I don't mind, you know, stirring up a debate. And for me, queer feels really like it's not a word that other people choose for me; it's a word I choose for myself. And I like, I like sort of forcing people to be uncomfortable when I talk using that word. And so many of my older lesbian friends are like, you know, almost triggered by the word and. Um, you know, they're sort of they has, they they have these really long histories with it and being called it in a in a derogatory way and um, and so it's funny for me because I really feel like I'm taking the word back. I'm always saying like this is my word now. This is not your word. <laughs> That's a great way to describe it. Um, now I know you've done a ton of interviews about what it's like to be a lesbian and you're really active in uh, work around queer healthcare and queer queer health access. But I've never heard anyone interview you about what it's like to be a famous person seeking healthcare. And in my head, like, so the podcast, I basically interview people who I really want to know stuff about. Um, like, question, like I interviewed someone who was an ex-nun and I was really curious, like, what's it like being a nun and going to the gynecologist? And they were like, no one's ever asked me that. So I'm curious, like, what is it like to be you seeking and accessing healthcare? And do you worry about things like, I don't know, like if I were going to the gynecologist and I were a celebrity, I would be, and this is not something I normally think about regularly, but if I were a celebrity and I'm going to the gynecologist, I wouldn't have just the normal worries, I think, about going to the gynecologist. I would also have that additional layer of, are people there going to leak info or right. is something about my vagina going to yeah. end up on TMZ or yeah. whatever? So, well, you worry about that or is I mean, that just in my Well, right now I'm worrying about it. <laughs> You weren't worried until I asked I was you this. Worried about it before this conversation. No, um, well, it's interesting because I my relationship with the doctor really changed when I became eighteen. So, uh, you know, I'm Canadian. So, I my experience. I don't I don't know exactly how um, parallel it is with 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 my American um, my, the American listeners and and people out there. But I saw a pediatrician until I was eighteen. He was the doctor I saw since I was born and it was fairly like, you know, sit on the table. I'm going to listen to your heartbeat. I'm going to look in your ears and your mouth. And, you know, it was pretty, I don't remember having any, like, I don't remember even feeling uncomfortable going to the doctor. I loved my doctor. He was, he was super fun. And the experience was so like integrated into my life that I don't, I don't even remember thinking about it. It just, it's just, it just was a thing that happened. And, um, and then additionally, you know, because healthcare 
is just free. I mean, it's like paid for by tax dollars, but I mean, you are essentially, um, you're, you as a Canadian are entitled to go to the doctor and there's sort of no anxiety or fear about payment. I don't remember any kind of anxiety around the doctor. I mean, obviously if I wasn't feeling well, maybe I did, you know, maybe I was worried about what was wrong or whatever, but I just remember it being a very relaxed experience. And then I turned 18 and, you know, the, the pediatrician sort of politely suggested that we find, uh, that we find, a different doctor that would be able to sort of meet whatever needs um, we needed as, as adult women. And it's so funny to me now because I'm like, well, I got my period when I was 13. So, I mean, it probably was a conversation I should have been having many years earlier, but like it was the nineties. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. But, um, so, but like my, that's when everything shifted for me. And I remember seeing a doctor and having to get my first physical and the the idea of getting a physical was utterly terrifying to me and the experience was fine and you know I remember you know get like figuring out what a pap smear was and like all of these things and I remember just it's like as quickly as that one experience I was like okay well this is the thing now I dread this is the thing like not the pap smear but like just going to the doctor I was like okay now I hate this I don't want to go like it sort of took on this really adult intense thing you know like uh, and it was almost like I just adopted the sort of cultural like the cultural accepted thing of like oh god the doctor right it's the worst who wants to do that and have you know have this person touching you and prodding you and poking you and scraping you and um and I really that was sort of my relationship with it right from the get-go in terms of my like visibility as a public person I I lived in Montreal until a handful of years ago and my doctor who I saw you know regularly every year every two years I swear to god she could not did not remember me. So it was like <laughs> every time you're going to think I'm making this up but I every time I would go to the doctor I would feel like I was introducing myself to her. I'd be like, "Hello, I don't know if you're familiar with me. I'm covered head to toe in tattoos on underneath my clothing. I know I'm extremely I think to myself, I'm extremely memorable regardless of my (laughs) occupation but she just was always kind of like and so you're dating you date men or you date I was always coming (laughs) out like it was like it was like my wow my doctor had amnesia and I just stuck with it because I sort of felt bad for her you know I just was like you know she's great doctor but I do have to reintroduce myself every single time so I guess what I'm saying is is that if she was um if she was the kind of person who would leak information to TMZ about my vagina she did not do it because she didn't remember it well, and it sounds like she didn't remember that that vagina was attached to someone who was a celebrity or someone named Sarah, like each exactly. time. Exactly. No, she was totally, totally not aware. But um, in, in, since then, I've, I've, I'm living in Vancouver and I have a personal, like I, my doctor seems to recognize me. And, um, and also <laughs> my mother and sister go there too. So I think that there's, um, there's extra definitely memorable. more, there's, it's extra memorable now. Yeah. She's like seen the whole family of vaginas, but I, I think you know, the truth is, is that I'm, I'm older now, I'm 37. And I, I, it's not just my, my doctor who I've had to, I've had to consider in these situations. I've, I've seen over the last 20 years, I've seen therapists, I've been in couples therapy, I have a dentist, I have a business manager and a lawyer, and I have a chiropractor and an acupuncturist. I mean, I, I see a host of people in my life in many different areas. And I sort of have a network of people that I trust, and I've, I'm very lucky that nothing too, um, you know, nothing too offensive or outrageous. No one's ever sort of like, you know, um, trampled my privacy or my anonymity. I, I do have the occasional like wander into a into a waiting room, and someone's like, "Aren't you in that band?" And then the, you know, I've I've totally had the moment where the doctor or the receptionist is like you know, here's your, here's your ultrasound for that weird ovary thing or whatever, you know, and you're just like, great, perfect, you know, but I guess the good news is that um, we all have to go to the doctor. So there's actually this very one, there's this sort of wonderful equilibrium of like, we're all on the same level, everything is in balance. I'm not on stage with Katy Perry right now. I'm just getting my ovary looked at, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting because um, prepping for this interview, I was curious about like, how often stuff is leaked and you know just looking around not about you but just in general about celebrities and, no no good news where do i send the invoice for all of this intel <laughs> um 
you know, fortunately, it looks like most healthcare professionals, they really do keep, keep things, take it really seriously, their legal and ethical obligation to respect privacy. Um, but, you know, every so often people are talking on TMZ or some other website about celebrities. Um, the one thing I did see that came up over and over again, and not just about you, but like every celebrity is if you gain or lose a pound, everyone is like hyper-focused on it. Um, mm. What does it feel like? Like I know when I, cause it always goes back to me when I go to the doctor, if I've gained three pounds, I'm not really looking forward to standing on the scale or five pounds. Um, but I'm not worried about anyone going, man, you know, Kim's gained five pounds. There goes her singing career. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. I'm nobody. Yeah. Does it cause anxiety for you? How much attention is paid to your bodies as public figures? You know, it's, it's weird. I mean, I think, I mean, like the truth is, is that a, I mean, I'm 37 and we started in the music industry at like 18 and between those years, the amount of weight I've lost or gained has been fairly negligible. Like, I mean, it might look like a lot to someone else, but I, I know it's not. So it's not weight, weight, weight hasn't ever been something that I've struggled with in either direction. Um, and I think because of that, I don't necessarily like we, you know, Tegan and I will see like a horrible, wretched photo of ourselves. And I think where we'll end up focusing a lot of our energy is, oh God, what, like, you know, I hate, why did they take that picture? Or, oh, I look like I'm bald or, oh my God, my face, what is wrong with it? Or whatever, you know, like, I don't, I think we tease, we sometimes will tease and say like, oh God, I look like I put on 30 pounds or something. But like, because we don't struggle with, with weight, I think um, it's, it's meant that I haven't necessarily been as impacted by the way people so, I don't know, so, like so carelessly will discuss bodies. Mm -hmm. um, I will say that during a, a fairly, like a, a really a tough time in my life in uh, maybe like about 10 years ago, I was going through a breakup and I, and I did lose about 10 pounds. And I remember, and it was like a lot of weight on my frame. You know, I weigh about a hundred and at the time, maybe a hundred and one pounds. Like I was about, I was yeah, like- you're tiny. I was, I was, it, it was substantial, but 10 pounds really looked like a lot. And what was so interesting to me was how many compliments I got, you know, it was like, oh my God, you look so thin right now. Or like, you know, I remember, um, Tegan and I are, are, we have, we have large breasts. We are like, we are quite, if we're for our frame, the, the sort of like contrast of our frame and our breasts is maybe somewhat hidden or obscured by the way we dress or the way that we hold ourselves or whatever it is. But I remember um, at the time, you know, losing, losing enough weight that I actually felt, oh, I'm like sort of not even as top heavy as I felt in the past. And I remember I started to wear, you know, thin, like smaller clothing and people were just like, wow, you look amazing. Like, and I was like, I'm extremely depressed and I'm hmm. 10 pounds underweight. You know? Right. And I was but like, you've never looked better. Right? And people were like, you look fabulous. And I just remember thinking then like, wow, this is the worst. This is truly, truly my, my rock bottom, my lowest moment in my life. And I've never felt more confident in my body, <laughs> which is, Isn't that weird? It, like, it's, it's terrible. It's terrible. And, you know, um, I really, I think about that a lot and I try not to talk about my body the way that I like what the way I think about my body in my brain, a lot of times I only think about it in my brain because I could say a lot of mean things about my own body. So I don't really, I guess I just don't really buy into the other things people say about me because I'm already beating up on myself a lot anyways. So um, yeah, I don't know. And I know, but I do know that this convert, like this topic is a, is a big one for not just for women. I, I have a lot of queer male friends and even straight male friends um, who are in the public eye, and this is a huge problem. And the way we, the way that we talk about, um, you know, public bodies is really, it's really disturbing. And the way that we're photoshopped constantly, I mean, mm -hmm. the amount of work that goes into making us look the way we look in magazines and in photos um, that are, you know, whatever, official photographs, official publicity photos. I mean, we basically have unblemished, perfect, line free skin and we can nip and tuck and liquefy when we don't like the way our hip looks or the way my thigh looks or whatever and you start to think that's what I look like and then you see someone's photo from you know the photo pit from below the stage 
with bad lighting and you think, oh my God, is that what I look like? It's so it's, you know, it's all distorting. All of it is. Mm -hmm. Well, and I imagine when you go to see a healthcare provider, especially if it's the first time, if they know you from the public eye, they know Photoshopped fabulous you, you know what I mean? So when they see you for the first time, they're seeing you. Um, And I don't know. I, I just I mean, always imagine. I think, about, I think that about every, I think that about going to the coffee shop in the morning. I mean, it's not, it doesn't, like the things I do the most regularly, like I, I go to yoga, I go to, I get coffee. I, yesterday I was in Barney's helping my mom shop for an outfit and I just kept catching glimpses of myself in the mirror and I looked horrible and to myself like you know, I was like oh my. I was like not wearing any makeup I have my period you know like whatever and I was like yeah no, thank god no one thank god I you know that I don't I can blend in I don't think anyone in the Barneys was like you know aware of my of me or like last week I was flying from Montreal to LA and I you know I don't wear I'm not wearing any makeup I have my hair up in a ponytail I'm like wearing like a comfy crappy outfit and and someone on the plane get like boarding the plane is like excuse me are you from that band like can I take a picture with you and I'm like and all I can think is not like oh I'm so I'm so famous I'm getting my I'm getting a selfie I'm thinking oh my god I'm gonna look horrible in this photo and then also there's this sort of like 10 minutes of embarrassment after the person has moved on because I think everyone on this plane is thinking her that girl, and now they're judging you. They're judging me like that girl, someone who someone else wants to get a selfie with. My God, burn that photo. Like I have a terrible, I have a terrible um, inner voice. And I'm, it's weird. Actually, at the doctor, I feel a lot more uh, comfortable than in a lot of other places because I think there is this sense of like, um, this person sees us, you know, sees human beings when they're there at their most vulnerable. They've been stripped of their clothing and put into a smock and they're sitting in a, in a weird sterile room under fluorescent lights and they're about to say I have this weird pain in my hip or I have this weird thing or whatever it is so it's like I actually sort of feel kind of I sort of hate going to the doctor but I also feel extremely comfortable being uncomfortable there that's interesting well there's this bubble of there's a code of conduct between patient and clinician whether it's a doctor nurse practitioner massage therapist there's this understanding that you're there for their help yeah. and they're obligated to keep things um, private. As you were talking about the airport, it's funny, I flew up to Boston um, and I saw Jessica Hallam, who I loved Love uh, last week. And But every time I fly through Reagan National, which is like five minutes from my house, I am misgendered every time. And I've been running this experiment to see what it is that's making it happen. And I thought, well, maybe it's because I'm not wearing lipstick and I'm flat chested. So I thought, well, maybe it's that. So this last time I wore lipstick and still, as soon as I went in, it was like, yes, sir, yes, sir. I was like, oh my God. Yeah, every time it's because I, so I don't have any breasts because I had a mastectomy and I didn't get reconstruction. Um, When I travel, I'm usually wearing like a t-shirt. And so I look like a dude. So it is, so it's, but it's funny because I'm nobody, right? Like it doesn't matter if I'm misgendered every time. And I don't, for me, because I'm very clear that I'm a woman and, and I'm comfortable with that. For me, being misgendered doesn't bother me. It's more odd. Yeah. But if I were, but if I were you and I wasn't wearing makeup, you know, it, <laughs> but, you I don't know. know. So, but it's really okay. So it's really interesting to me that as you're saying this because I realize that um, I go through periods of my life where, it, I mean, I sort of feel like my identity has gone through many different evolutions. But when I when I have my hair short, and this really began, I mean, I, my first haircut where I got all of my hair chopped off, um, I was five. So this has been happening to me for 32 years, but I've been misgendered a trillion times. And it's, it's interesting because I've spent a lot of time thinking about this because um, I, I did want to be a boy, you know, when I was a little kid. I mean, that's what I wanted. I don't, I, I didn't, have any clue or understanding of what it meant to be transgender. I just knew that I wanted to be a boy. It felt like a struggle for me. I want, when, when my mom let, let me and Tegan cut our hair, I felt so much better. We, you know, my mom was extremely supportive of us shopping. Um, you know, we, I mean, we shopped in the boys section um, or, and dressed quite, um, I, I don't even think we dressed like boys. I think we dressed in a very neutral sort of like, you know, we weren't girly, we weren't, but we also weren't wearing like shirts with like trucks and dinosaurs on them either. You know, like we were sort of like, 
we just kind of like existed in this kind of middle zone. And, and I felt really happy there. I was so excited when I was allowed, when I was sort of allowed those, those choices. And yet when I would be misgendered, which happened to me all the time, I would feel shame. And a lot of times the shame for me was watching other people realize their mistake. And, um, and, and that's been happening to me my whole life. And I, and most recently it happened to me, I guess I was in, it was about 2000, 2007 or 2008. No, it was 2008 or 2009. I cut my hair really short. Like I like had it shaved mostly. And then I had sort of like a bit of a fringe in the front and I got misgendered all the time, but especially in airports. And I don't know what it is about airports, but it's like, I was constantly called sir. I was constantly called um, Mr. And there was this one specific incident when I was coming home from India, I was really sick and I was very thin. I had lost again, like I was, I was really sick and I had lost probably like five pounds or six pounds on the trip. Like, I mean, I was really, really ill. And I remember I was disoriented in LA. I was connecting to New York and I missed my flight and I, I sort of like ran to the door and I started knocking on the, on the door to go to the airplane, you know, and this woman came up from behind me and was like, sir, sir, you can't do that. And I turned around and I was like, I, I, I know it just closed. Can I please get on the plane? And she was like, Oh my God, I'm so sorry. I, I, I thought I, I saw your short hair and I thought you were, and I was like, don't worry about that. Just I get on the plane. Like, I'll deal with that stuff later. You know, like it was so interesting, but, um, but yeah, it's so, it's so weird because I, I really enjoy looking androgynous and I really enjoy looking masculine sometimes. And yet I can't deny that it is, it, 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 it sort of throws me into a confusing spiral in my brain when I'm misgendered. Yeah. It's, it's funny because when I, um, after I had my, my mastectomy, I was like, you know what? I don't want reconstruction just because I had had large breasts before. And, um, you know, they're always in the way oh, like you're the worst. or whatever. Worst. And, um, so I was like, yeah, I don't think I want to get new boobs. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm good. But, you know, the added upside was it's really nice to be able to choose to dress androgynous. Yeah. Um, and so that's been interesting. And it's also been interesting to me to watch how often people's eyes go to your chest <gasps> to look for a gender marker. Wow. Like, w- when they're not really sure. And I never really noticed people looking at my chest before. Yeah. Um, Maybe they weren't. Maybe it wasn't this spectacular. <laughs> wasn't much to look at. But I notice it now. So yeah. it's, it's kind of cool. It's fa- okay. So- it's fascinating. Oh, sorry. I could talk about boobs forever just because I hate. I've I've had such a hateful relationship with my own that it's it's so interesting to it's so interesting to think that that so many of us struggle with a body like a body part like a body part that you mm-hmm. just kind of have and then you know to think like our like our mom had breast cancer and we talk about this a lot because she also has sort of had a challenging relationship with her chest over the years and now that she's had breast cancer she's really like she's still kind of mean to her boobs you know but she'll be like she'll be like oh she'll like sort of follow up she'll like even yesterday at Barney's we're like oh boobs ruin everything like wrecks all of our silhouettes like when we put clothes on that we just want to be flat and but then I can hear my mom sort of like follow it up quickly with like a you know but I am glad I'm healthy and you know and it's like I feel like she's telling her boobs like thank you you know for still being here or something and I'm yeah, like she's trying to give them a gentle shout yeah. out so they don't <laughs> so she's like not your fault it's not your fault <laughs> but you know what's funny though without boobs it also ruins the, the clothing silhouettes I can't wear shirts that are really made for women because they look depressing that's the only way I can describe it when you see a <laughs> that has darts and they're just like empty right there's Fair this enough. emptiness yeah and so um yeah there's some things that i'm just like oh man it's just it just looks bad um so i think we can't really win when it comes to boobs i think is the takeaway message there good good takeaway so was there ever a time when being famous made getting healthcare awkward for you like a situation either because you got recognized or because a fan like a time where being famous became a factor. You know, it's funny. It's like, I I mean, for myself, and again, I've, I've been really fortunate. I really, I've, I've had fairly just like, I go every year and a half or two years and get like a full physical. I like my doctor. I have a, I have a, I, I don't like going to the doctor, but it's like, I've been, I've been pretty healthy. I haven't had anything too dramatic or too scary happen to me. So it's, it's hard because I, I, I really, I would be stretching if I was going to give you 
a, that's good. You know, a story. It is. I feel extremely grateful and lucky for that. Um, it, the truth is, is that where it's been difficult for me is um, other people's health. I've, you know, we've had, um, like I mentioned earlier, my mom had cancer and, um, you know, I've had, I've had people in my life who have been ill and in the hospital and I've been in the hospital with people who are dying and it's my anonymity and my privacy in those times has been somewhat, um, like, like, you know, there've been times where I know people recognize us or, and, you know, it's, it's a weird sort of like out of body experience to be to be suffering through a terrible loss or like, you know, be in the hospital with someone who is dying and in their last moments. And you're sort of also slightly out of body thinking about, Oh, other people around here know that this is happening to me and to my family. And that's this extra layer that I don't like being present and thinking about. Mm. And, um, and, and it's, it's confusing because it's like, it, I, I think of myself almost as two people. I think of myself as just me and and normal and just this is my life and I'm just doing all the same things that every other person does. But there is this kind of sometimes this performance of like, oh, now I'm being watched living my life in this way. And, you know, whether it's like I'm eating dinner and I can tell, oh, this table of people are watching me have dinner with my friends or my girlfriend or whatever. It happens all the time, but it's specifically around healthcare and around things to do with, um, you know, with, with being at the doctor or being at a hospital or being somewhere like that. Yeah, I definitely feel like that can that can be an added layer of anxiety and stress. And I can sometimes, I, those are moments that I definitely feel like, oh, I just wish that I didn't have to even think about that. I mean, I think it would be traumatic to be grieving um, the loss or the impending loss of someone you love in the hospital and have to worry not only about people looking at you, but just that whole, you can't be raw and yourself and ugly cry without, <laughs> yeah. you know, like, yeah. Oh, I mean, I can't, I can't imagine what that would be like. It's, it's, you know, it's this sort of added thing that I think we forget sometimes when we are in public spaces and we see people, we, recognize um who we do not know you know i think that that boundary um that is in place that makes most of us feel like even though we are constantly surrounded by people we are there is a certain kind of perimeter of space that is your space um you know that's often broken when you are a, you know a familiar or famous person and you know most of the time it doesn't bother me you know if i'm in a store or i'm eating dinner or I'm in an airport. I mean, for me, most of the time to have someone come up and recognize me or want to photograph, it's sort of on a scale of like, oh, that's so sweet to like, okay, I'm mildly annoyed or I'm a self-conscious and I don't want to have to take a photo with you at seven in the morning on an airplane. But like, that's usually the spectrum is kind of like, you know, sort of touched to like mildly annoyed. That's where you can kind of mostly find me. But when you are, yeah, like, I mean, we, we lost a family member a few years ago and we were in Asia and we had to fly back and it was, you know, the whole trip was just, I mean, we were just like devastated and we were on our way back from tour. We were exhausted and we were going to a hospital to say goodbye to someone who we love dearly. And that was so tremendously traumatizing. And, you know, and then people come up to you and they're like, Oh my God, are you guys those twins? Like, can I get a photo? Oh. And you're just like, how do I, how do I, what do I do? You know, like those are not things that, you know, you feel almost protective of the person who's coming up to you because you just want to be like, oh my God, if you knew what you, if you knew where we were really at, you would feel terrible. So, I mean, we actually kind of slip into this mode of like, okay, I'll just take the picture and we don't share what's happening. And I mean, that happens a lot with our career in general. I mean, there have been times where I'm sure if we were to just be like, hey guys, I know we just released our new single and everything looks like it's going swimmingly, but we're actually dealing with this like, you know, profound loss or, you know, this terrible thing or, you know, you know, call, call Virgin Calgary and get us on the radio. And also one of my family members is terminally ill and in hospice. Like, it's just, wow. you know, it's like, you're kind of always balancing these things. And it's, it's, um, it's just something that I, 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 I tread gently when I talk about it publicly, because I'm just like, I don't need anyone to be like, Oh, no, I feel so sorry for you. We all go through this stuff. But I think we forget sometimes that famous people also have people die in their lives or, 
you know, have breakups or are going to having eating disorders, whatever it is. Like, you know, we sort of treat them like, like they are void of the feelings and the, and the sensitivities that we all have. Well, and it's, it's so, I wish that there were some way, like, you know, a restaurant has a sign on the front that says like open or close. Yeah. <laughs> it's too bad that, it's too bad that celebrities can't have a sign that people would respect, which is like, yeah. I'm on right now and I'm not. Um, and sadly, even if there were such a sign, people probably wouldn't respect it. Um, I mean, this is, this is true. And, you know, I mean, T- I mean, Tegan and I talk about this a lot because as twins, since we were little, little kids, I mean, I'm extremely familiar with this problem and this sort of conundrum because people have been doing this to me since I was little. This is not like a thing that came when we started our career. This is a thing that happened to us when we were in strollers because people felt that they could come up and say, oh my God, are they twins? And like, my mom has stories about us at the mall and, you know, that it became such a hassle that when they would take us to the mall, my dad would take one of us and my mom would take one of us and we would sort of split up because it was just so overwhelming because people would touch us. People would try to pick us up. People would invade our space all the time. And so it's such, it is such an, it's such a, it's, I've been doing it for 37 years. I've been trying to manage other people breaking into my personal space. And so um, I think there is a part of me that's like uh, good at managing when I want people to come up to me and when I don't. I make myself extremely small in public spaces. I, Hmm. I try really hard to be invisible. I loved living in New York City because I felt like there were so many people everywhere all the time. And I loved feeling like no one. I, I loved feeling like I was just another person. And, um, and I think I, I think, I think I believe that you can sort of make yourself smaller energetically. And that has been something that I feel is like a tool or like a, like a, um, like a sort of, I don't know, like a protective cloak or something. Like, I don't think we're that recognizable because we sort of, we don't want to be, I could like put on like a crazy outfit and, you know, dress super weird and wear gigantic sunglasses. And like, I could make myself a big, gigantic looking, like, who is that person? I don't know who that is, but that must be somebody like I can do that. Or I can go to Barney's with my mom and be dressed like a schlub and no one recognizes me or thinks like that I am somebody because I don't look like somebody. I just look like, you know, like I'm my mom's, I don't know, bratty teenage daughter who she's dragging to Barney's, you know, like, and I'm like, that's great. Perfect. (laughs) It's it's got to be weird. I don't know. I love trying to imagine what it would be like to be other people just because it's fun. Um, and But imagining what it would be like to be you, it sounds, it sounds emotionally like it would be really hard to have boundaries that people respect, like in the world. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it, I, I like, I'm, I think each person is really different. I know lots of people who are recognizable, famous people, whatever. Everyone does it differently. I am friends with all the kids I grew up with. I'm super close with my family, my cousins. You know, my girlfriend, I call her a normie. She hates that. But, like, I, 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 I'm very drawn and attracted to people who are not in the public eye. I, I feel exhausted by the idea of celebrity and fame. I, I don't want to be chased. I don't want to have to hide. I want to go to the doctor and get a pap smear and just feel normal discomfort, not like I'm like, you know, I have a, a super famous rich vagina or something. Like, I, <laughs> I, I, I really enjoy my life. I think Tegan and I have made a, we have made an effort to try to control our success in a very specific way because I, I just want to be normal. I just want to have a career that I love and I, and I, and I want to make art and I want to be creative and I want to be surrounded by people who love me for me and not because I'm famous. And I, I also want to be around people who also have managed their energy in a very specific way. Like I, I feel it's, I'm not like trying to judge anyone, but like, I I don't, I don't necessarily want to like roll with a group of people who are like on 11 all the time, you know, like I, Mm -hmm. I, I like sort of blending in and just being normal, but, um, but that doesn't mean it's not exhausting. And there is this kind of running, there's always running in the background is this kind of program in my mind of like, yes, I know at any time someone could be watching me or thinking about me or, you know, um, filing away information that they may use later. Like I, t- I am the biggest over tipper 
because I'm terrified someone's going to be like, <laughs> one of those Tegan and Sarah people came in and they're the, so cheap, you know? Like, oh, that's I'm like, so funny. but I just feel like I constantly overcompensate because I am terrified <laughs> that someone's going to be like, they're the worst. But it's going, I mean, trying to tie this back into healthcare, I'm, it's weird, like, as I'm talking to you, because it's like, I, I really don't think about it in those, in that context very often, because I really do feel like, there is this, like you said this earlier, there's this code of con conduct that I just sort of assume is in place when I'm with a healthcare or mental healthcare professional. I trust that my, I trust that my doctor is like, if they're talking about me, which I'm a narcissist, so it's like, I mean, of course I want my doctor to be talking <laughs> about my vagina. Like I want my massage therapist to be like, you will not believe who I was giving a massage to today. Please don't tell anyone, but she's fit, man. She is like great. Um, you know, like I, I can't help it, like, you know, but only to a small, you know, private group of people. Like, I don't want my, I don't want my therapist like on blast, you know, talking about me, but I also sort of secretly, I'm like, she's talking about me, right? Like, I'm awesome. Like she must go home and talk to <laughs> God, Sarah's fascinating in therapy. Like it's confusing, you know? Yeah. She's probably not, if she's a good therapist, she's not telling anyone even that she sees you and not it's even killing her inside. Person. Come on. No, I don't believe. Oh my God. Maybe it's no, even when I, so even when I worked in hospice, if I took care of anyone who was famous, that, that will die with me. Like you well, tell you're no a better one. person than I am. That's why I'm not, a, that <laughs> is why I'm not a hospice nurse because I couldn't help it. I mean, I just, I feel like I'm not, I'm not necessarily that great with secrets, <laughs> but, but I would, you know, but I would only be telling a small, I would only be telling a small a circle, small right? circle of people. So, but like, yeah, I don't know. It's like, it's very weird. It's this sort of, I mean, it's like, I, I mean, okay. All joking aside, I do want my therapist and my doctor to not talk about me, but I want them <laughs> to be desperately wanting to talk about me. There you go. And that's, and that is, that's where they're at. I bet you okay, right. that is where they're at, where it's like killing them. So it's funny because I know like nobody famous at all. Like really, I'm, I'm so much a nobody. I'm an academic. I'm super boring. I'm a Boy Scout leader. Like my life is pretty generically blah, but happy, but blah. And so I was, I was telling two, two guys who are my age and I'm 45, 46, I'm 46. Um, and so they're my age and I'm telling them, you know, I have to tell you something really cool. I am interviewing Sarah from Tegan and Sarah for my podcast. And I was so excited, right? Um, so, so excited. But they're, they're guys my age. They're straight guys my age. And they knew of you guys, but they didn't know you like really know you know you. And so I was texting them. I was trying to convince them. It was really funny of like how amazing you guys were because they knew you a little bit, but they knew the Lego song. <laughs> they didn't know anything yeah. else. So it was like, no, no, you don't understand. Teen and Sarah, they're like catnip to lesbians. And then they both went, oh my God. Okay. I get it now. So we had this whole exchange, but it was so funny because I, I realized for myself, I really wanted them to know that I was interviewing you. I have no idea why, but I was really excited. Um, and, but if you were my patient, yeah, I wouldn't tell a living story. <laughs> well, okay. Well, so this is, but this is an interesting thing, right? Like, I think, I think even for me, like I strongly identify with your position because I mean, there's certainly been lots of times in my life where I'm having a conversation with or hanging out with someone who is famous or someone I admire and um and there's a there's something exciting about sharing that information with people I mean and that's I think because I can access that feeling so organically and naturally I have I have such empathy for people when they have that about me because you know <laughs> so if they do talk about your super famous vagina you're going to give them a pass well, this is the thing. if they're like, only telling that small circle I mean I think so because you know I mean not necessarily about my vagina but I definitely think like you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of the last time I got like excited to meet, to see, to meet someone, to see someone. And it was on an airplane. Um, last summer I was sitting next to, uh, Naomi Klein, who is a writer and, and activist. Very cool. That I love, like I, that has been extremely influential on my, my, um, on my life, you know, I mean, uh, and and I was sitting next to her on, on, on an, on a flight from Ottawa to Los Angeles. And I, was sitting in my seat, no, like thinking to myself, she was sitting right next to me. And I was like, I have to say something to her. 
I don't want to, she doesn't see, she's not going to recognize me, but I, I recognizing her and I need to say something to her. And that urge like that, just like boiling over, I have to do this. I know it's (laughs) going to be awkward. It's not going to be, she's not going to be thrilled at being interrupted and having to like talk to me, but I'm going to do it anyway. Like that is such a natural thing. And it's like, and, and, you know, I don't blame people for, for feeling that or wanting that. And like, you know, you know who Naomi Klein is. Lots of people when I was, when we had a lovely conversation, we took a picture. She wanted to take the picture. I was like, yes, great. I didn't have to ask. And I tell people that story all the time. And like, you know, it's, to me, she is like world famous, international writing activist superstar. You know, to most of my, to most of the people in my life, people were like, who's that now? And I'm like, you know, she wrote no logo. (laughs) You know, like I have to kind of explain it a little bit. Um, And they're like, cool. You know, like there's not, you know, if I was like, I sat next to Lady Gaga and we like shared cat pictures or something, people would be like, holy shit. (laughs) But like, for me, meeting Naomi Klein and sitting next to her was like a real like, oh my God moment. I did have a seriously horrible hangover. And after like an hour of talking to her, I was like, I have to put my headphones on because I feel like I've suffered kind of brain damage. And this was, I had been working at like 10 to try to keep up with you and sound and now I need to go back to just watching like The Good Wife. So bye. That is so funny. But it's good to know that everybody experiences that urge to kind of share and connect. Um, You know, one of the things I see, so I follow you guys on Instagram and uh, you have a carefully curated window into your life that you share with fans that feels very personal. That does make me realize, I think you have a touch of OCD because your place is always so clean. Oh my God, you could eat off of your floor. So you have cats and there's like, everything's clean all the time. And I don't know if that's your place or Tegan's place, but it's like super clean, uh-huh. but you're sharing with people. Is there ever times when you're thinking about what you share? Oh, yeah. Is there this lens of like, <laughs> like, oh my God, my place looks like crap. I can't really be like tweeting out pictures of... I don't know. I, I was yes. just curious. The unrelated healthcare, but the answer to all of that is that yes, I do probably have a touch <laughs> of OCD, and um, yeah, I think about it all the time. And I think, I mean, this is going to sound sort of harsh, but like, I think we are very good at giving people a sense of, oh, we're going to give you this glimpse into our lives, but it's very strategic in the sense that mm-hmm. it's like there is a ninety-five percent of me, my life, who I am, what I am, that I keep extremely close and private. And, um, and then there's this part of me that I'm like, completely fine with exploiting, because I know that people want to see something, and people Mm -hmm. need to know something. And so, uh, you know, as social media has become such an integrated part of branding and, and bands and careers, and just life in general, um, I think we work really hard to to protect and sort of keep sacred um, a huge chunk of of who we are that you know like putting up you know this this like these these images of the cats or like my house or whatever it's like yeah it's kind of my house it's it's a rental because I'm like working in LA like I don't feel like it's super personal like I don't put up my I don't I've never put up pictures or images of my place in Vancouver or when I lived in Montreal like I don't mm-hmm. um, I try, I'm really careful about what I share because I want it to be mine and I want it to be, and, That's good. and you know, and it's really hard. It's like, I think about this a lot about clothes. Like I, you know, Tegan and I wear something and, and then people buy those clothes. They're like, I want to look like them or people see us, um, see our tattoos and then they actually go and get our tattoos. And it's, those are it's tough things because it's like, that's, that's my identity. That's my, those are my things. That's my, that's my, that's my sort of like, self-harming scar mm-hmm. of a, of some kind of you know terrible situation and I got it tattooed onto my body as a memory and now you have it like I don't understand like you know like so I've had to kind of like figure out without judgment in a way like I have to accept that that is going to happen and so instead I sort of protect things that um you know that I don't want other people to know about or it's not a people's business or I don't want them to you know, to, I don't want them to take those things and make them theirs. And so the things that we put on our social media are things that I'm like, I don't really care. <laughs> so the cats on our social media are my cats and Tegan and I don't live together. So it's my house, my cats. And I think Tegan thinks it's sometimes weird that I'll put 
those like she, she I think Tegan thinks that they're very intimate images in the sense that she's like yeah I don't really want people to look at my couch or you know whatever it is and for me it's actually been a wonderful shield because where mm-hmm. I struggled to figure out what I was gonna put up on social media a lot of times now I'm just like here look at my cat you know like I don't feel like I have to right. search for okay what is what will like you know I did it with books for a long time I don't want to share a lot about my life, but you know what I love? Oh, I love this book. I love this author. I love this story. I connected to this thing. Why don't you read it and see if you can find a connection for yourself there? And I think I, I, that's how I see the cats. They're, you know, they're not consenting to be on my social media, but they're mine and I own them. So I can do whatever I want with them mm-hmm. and they're my cats. And so they don't really give anything away. <laughs> Well, and you can't go wrong with no, a cat picture. People love cats. You know, you really can't. I mean, it's sharing. People love cats. Um, you know, it's it's interesting. You had something on Instagram with your mom playing piano. And I think of all of the things that I've ever seen on your social media, I don't want it to sound like I'm a social media stalker because I'm not. I'm rarely on Instagram and I've tweet, I put out, I don't even know what the word is. It's not tweeted out, but whatever the word is for putting out an Instagram picture. It's I think grand. I only posted like you say, I, I, Thank you. Grand. Um, I'm feeling very old now. I'm turning into an old person. Um, but but I when I saw your mom playing piano, in many ways that seemed like the most personal yeah. of the Instagram grams. <laughs> I sound like I'm 87 years old. Um, but but I like the way that you you share without sharing yeah. everything. Um, you know, with people emulating what you do, and this does bring it back to healthcare. I promise, is your work with Queer Health Access and all of the work that you're doing around um, really ensuring that there's better care for queer people. My hope is that young people and fans will emulate your activism because that is one of the most amazing things about you and Tegan. You know, you and I have met at a Queer Health Access convening. And the thing that I took away from that that I was so impressed with was how much you get it and you care about this. And this isn't just about slapping your name on a cause. You are deeply, deeply engaged in trying to improve queer health care. If there were something you could say to fans about what you want them to do or what you, your hope for them in terms of their activism around queer health care, what would it be? You know, I mean, specifically around health care, what I, what I think is really interesting and, you know, the, the foundation that Tegan and I started and a lot of the work that we're doing um, it, it extends beyond the United States, but specifically around healthcare in the United States, I'm finding it to be really fascinating to try to understand how complicated it is. You know, it's not just healthcare, it's insurance companies, and it's about, you know, who has access and who doesn't have access and where does research go? And, you know, one, one, one day you can have one experience and the next day you can have a totally different experience. And how, how do we sort of like address all of these issues that sort of play a huge role in determining whether or not someone even feels that they have um, enough value to, to go to the doctor as a person, you know, it's not even, do you have health insurance? We're starting to, to realize that a lot of people in our community don't even think they deserve it and that they don't feel good about their bodies mm-hmm. enough to even want to go out and proactively find healthcare or um, invest in their long-term health and mental care. And that was very eye-opening for me because while I tend to avoid the doctor and I'm annoyed by the experience and all of these things, I still go and I still, and I still, I still want to be healthy and I, you know, I don't smoke and I work out and I try to eat healthy and I, you know, like I, I, I guess even though I think of myself as being kind of mean to myself sometimes, I actually really care about myself and I want to I wanna lead a healthy life and I feel I deserve a healthy life and I think that it is my right to be able to get access to the doctor. And when I really, when I really think about what is probably one of the most pressing issues in our community, I realize it's that a lot of people don't even have that. They don't even have that sense of like, I should get this. This is for me. I want to be healthy. And and I think we really sort of saw that firsthand with our fan base. You know, we re- we received letters and we received correspondence from people who write pages and pages and pages about their own minds and their bodies and the experiences that they're having and they're so transparent and they tell us everything that's going on. And over, you know, 18 years you start to pick up patterns and it's like everybody's story is their own, but it's also like, wow, this is a very common story. Like that you, 
that you were treated this way or that you're afraid or that you went somewhere and thought you were going to be treated with respect and you were taken advantage of at your most vulnerable or, you know, whatever it is. So I do really care about this. And I, I really feel as though while there are many, many amazing people working in healthcare who want to make things better for our community, there's something, there are barriers that need to be removed and there are, and there are ways to do it. And I don't know if we're going to have, <laughs> I don't know if we're going to be able to do it, but I definitely am enjoying and feeling like motivated and inspired to, to participate. And that means, you know, working with people who maybe haven't been directly involved with trying to um, think about and solve this problem. So right now we really, with Queer Health Access, I really care about healthcare and also figuring out if there are ways through technology and working with people who are, um, you know, who are used to reaching people in other areas, if they can help us make these links and, and make these communities better, um, you know, better connected. Um, specifically right now, we're really working, trying to figure out how to link um, LGBTQ healthcare practitioners and doctors and people working in mental health care. We want to connect those people with the community at large in in North America who want to who want to see doctors who are LGBTQ or or LGBTQ culturally competent and that it when we first started working on it I was like this is an easy problem we know exactly who the patient is we know exactly who the healthcare practitioner is and we want to connect them and it's become it's been amazing to me how actually complicated it is to do that so what is the website for queer health it's access it's queerhealthaccess.com and and, you know, we are sort of like mid-swing right now working on a project that I think is going to be really exciting and will hopefully address some of the things that I'm talking about. But I think what I realize about, you know, this work and our community is that it's, 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 it's not like a, oh, we have a six-month plan and we're going to fix this problem and then it's going to be over. I think that, you know, if this gov new government in the States is any indication, you know, we, we, we have to be... Um, we have to be vigilant. We, there's, there are going to be constant changes and blocks and barriers and forces that want to stop queer people from having um, access to things and having um, and and trying to take things away from from us. And so I look at this as as lifelong work. This isn't something that I'm just interested in right now. I, I sort of look at it like this will be the work that I do for the rest of my life. And it'll be the work I think that will end up you'll get remembered for in addition to your music and maybe even more so than maybe. your music, given um, given how much progress I think you can make in this area with your leadership. So I really appreciate you coming on the show. Oh my God, I, I love being on the show. I could probably talk another hour about all that. It's like, so nice not to have to talk about like music. It's so nice not to have to like answer questions about my writing process. Like I'm just like, yay, this is awesome. <laughs> Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Take care and good luck with everything that you're doing with the Tegan and Sarah Foundation and Queer Health Access. Thank you so much. You've been listening to MDASH, the healthcare podcast that gives you pause. For show notes and information about other episodes on the show, visit www.em-podcast.com. <laughs>